Carlsbad. People, purpose, and impact. An essential podcast for those who live, work, visit, and play in Carlsbad. Good morning and welcome, everyone. My name is Brett Schonsenbach. I'm the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host today, and I'm excited to have with me one of my board members, Mr. Aaron Bizak. Aaron is the Chief External Affairs Officer for Tri-City Medical Center. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Brett. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. It's fun having you on for a variety of reasons. You're a local. You you grew up here in Carlsbad. Um, you know, you still live here in North County area. You work here. You came through the system, so to speak, and are honestly a, a big success, um, you know, a success story of the local school system. And we want to talk about Tri-City and a lot of good stuff going on there. So there's so many directions we could go and start with. To, I would love to, for the audience to know a little bit of your Carlsbad origins. So I was actually born at Tri-City Medical Center in uh, 1977. <laughs> but, um, so were my brother, my sister, my cousins. We were all born there. My aunt worked there as an OR nurse. My grandfather was on the foundation board many years ago at the hospital. And I originally lived um, for a few years in Lucadia and then Vista very for a short period of time. And then moved to Carlsbad when I was about four. I was three and a half. Yeah. We moved to Carlsbad. And I lived there for most of my young life. Yeah. Until I got priced out. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> you know how that works. Yes, so. that's that is a challenge. But uh, you went through the schools there. Did, I did. Did you graduate high school here? Yes, yeah. I did graduate high school. You're a Lancer. Yeah, I am a Lancer. Okay. Carlsbad High School, class of '95. Very nice. Yes. That's a popular thing here in this area. Obviously, a very different looking Carlsbad High School, mind you. Sure. At the time, so. Sure. Yeah, it's had a lot of uh, expansion, growth, modernization, and stuff. It's always after you leave that they do things like that. <laughs> Somehow they find the money after yes. we leave to make it that much more cool and interesting. And no, but they, they have done a great job. And, you know, to that point, you continue to be engaged with the school system. Um, what was the meeting I was at just recently? You're, you're chairing a new thing. Yeah, the Career Technical Education yes. Committee for Carlsbad Unified. Career Technical Ed. So the CTE program you're going to be chairing yes. for the next year, or I think it's a two-year commitment if they... Oh. <laughs> I missed the meeting. They might. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is two years. They always add an. They add an extra year if you miss the meeting. Exactly. <laughs> so that's wonderful. So you're still uh, engaged with the local schools and giving back to that. And then your career has been interesting too. And and I know we've talked about this before, but I would love to just for the listeners who don't know you, very interesting in terms of the medical aspects, right. and then kind of policy, and then now full circle to where you are today. Right. So, you know, I actually entered into the field of sort of healthcare when I was in high school at Crossbow High School. So I applied for a job at McDonald Village Pharmacy, which was a little mom and pop pharmacy in downtown Carlsbad. At That's the time. awesome. And I worked there. It's right. Um, it's right across from Handles. Yeah. Ice cream. Now I worked there as a, as a, a clerk and a delivery driver um, for three and a half years, all the way through high school and then a little after high school. And it was interesting because I was delivering medications largely to elderly people sure. in the community. And it taught me a lot about medications and who yeah. was taking what for what. And, you know, I eventually went to EMT school, became an EMT, and I was ahead of the curve because of everything that I had already learned about yeah. medicine, um, uh, medication in particular, uh, and, you know, kind of worked in EMS and was pursuing a career as a firefighter paramedic. 
and ended up just having a few things. We've talked about this before. I had a few things influence my decisions in my career. I ended up leaving EMS and going to work in health policy and did that for a number of years, about seven years. And then um, kind of put it all together after going to grad school and went to work for hospitals, uh, specifically in the area of government affairs, community engagement. And I've since expanded that to include marketing communications and a variety of other things. Yeah. They, in other words, they keep adding things to your job yeah, description. No, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> they just, it's like, oh, you can do that here. Here, take this other thing. So. Yeah, that's great. And one of the reasons that um, we're chatting today is uh, you guys were recognized as our large business of the year in 22. Yes. Yes, 2022. Got to keep my years straight. This is 2023, which was amazing. And there's um, business reasons why, but the community outreach, which has been a passion of yours and that you've really championed for Tri-City Medical Center, so extensive, so thorough, and so comprehensive. And I would love to talk about that a little bit. We are going to circle back to some of the cool business stuff that, because there's a lot of things going on at Tri-City, but I would love for you to share about the the coastal commitment and and explain to people what that means. Yes. I know you love your acronyms. I do so. love me some acronyms. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the coastal commitment, you know, when I first got to Tri-City, within a couple of days, I was sort of looking at the budget and saying, okay, well, where do we actually put our money? Uh, when it came to community engagement. And one of the things that I realized was at the time, we were sponsoring a lot of events. Yes. And tables. You know, we'd buy tables and sure. just more and more tables. And then we wouldn't actually go and sit in the tables, you know. And so it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. It made sense in that we were supporting organizations locally that needed support. Sure. And one of the ways in which they raised money is through tables and, you know, selling tables at events. But, you know, I came together with Steve Dietline, who was the CEO at the time, recently retired. And my staff, and I said, I think we can come up with a better vision for this. We leaned into sort of the, the needs of the community. We said, okay, what, how should we determine uh, which organizations we invest money into? And we looked at something called the Community Health Needs Assessment, which is done by the Hospital Association of San Diego and Imperial Counties. And we've served on that committee for many years. And they find what are the social issues and what are the healthcare issues in the community that, are, that create the most need? And so we said, well, that will be our litmus test for what we support. And it can't just be financial. It has to be active leadership. Yes. We have to actually physically participate. We have to lend our time, talent, treasure, yes. right? The kind of things that you look for in board members. So we have to look for those things um, or we have to, to invest those things in these organizations. And so we completely changed the manner in which we considered program sponsorship. And that's what we said. We said, listen, events are fine. And we do a lot of events with like the Chamber of Commerce, yes. for instance. Those, that's kind of where we remain in the event space. But when it came to nonprofit organizations, we were looking at specifically what are you doing mm -hmm. programmatically? Who are you helping? And how is that moving the needle on health and social issues in our community? So what we decided to do was uh, switch everything around. And so we created a new application process and started investing that way. And I'm a firm believer that it's very difficult when you're sponsoring a lot of organizations to tell many, many different stories about what it is that you're doing. So we created sort of an umbrella under which all of this works. And that is we branded the initiative, the outreach initiative, which we call COASTAL, the COASTAL commitment. And COASTAL stands for Community Outreach and Support Through Active Leadership. And we wanted to tap into, we're obviously a coastal community. 
We have an image that comes with that. And in the title, I mean, in the name, it tells you exactly what we're trying to do. And so we grew that program to the point of where we're now we have over 90 partner organizations in the three communities, which is quite an impressive undertaking. That's a lot. Yeah, and what's really amazing. amazing about it, and I mentioned this, I think, to you in a recent conversation, is that we actually reduced our total spend in the process of doing that. So it's more targeted, yes. it's more focused with the financial support, but we're investing tremendous man hours yes. uh, to help organizations. And what we kind of look at is where are the challenges how can we be creative about addressing those challenges? And how do we work with somebody else who's also very good at these things to make it happen? Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. I, As you said, you and I have talked offline on, on some of these topics over the years. And um, I'd say before your time at Tri-City, there was a period of time where I, I felt like every community garage sale or yard sale had Tri-City sponsoring it. I mean, it's like, we're going to go walk our dogs. Oh, it's sponsored by Tri-City. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, maybe there was a time and a purpose for that. I'm not trying to badmouth it at all, but it was it was like overwhelming almost. And But I, I feel like your approach, the targeted approach that matches with the uh, the needs assessment that you talked about just makes logical sense. I think so. You know, yeah. I, I think it's, you know, we are trying to make this a model for the country, for community hospitals to say, listen, if you have limited resources, and let's be right. real, you know, everybody has, everybody limited, has yeah. limited resources. If you have limited resources, how do you use data to drive your decision-making process? How do you invest wisely? But how do you invest your time in such a way as to where you're truly lifting people up? And helping them and tracking the data and reporting it and doing things like that. So we're in the process right now of actually working with Cal State San Marcos to help us track the outcomes. Nice. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to establish the program and right. kind of get your feet solid underneath you. And now we're reaching out to them and we're in discussions with them about really helping us with the research component of it. One of the programs that is, you know, part of the coastal commitment, so to speak, is uh, our SoCal program. And I, you were one of the driving energies behind SoCal. And I know, I know you guys actually came up with that name and title, but um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the program. And of course we can dialogue on it um, because it's a, now it's a, it's a multi-chamber EDC, but Tri-City was behind it the whole way because you saw a need. So talk about the need that you saw and how in and then let's get into what SoCal is and how it's helping. Right. So over the years I've worked on a lot of workforce initiatives yes. in different positions that I've been at. And I've worked on some that were really good, and I've worked on some that were really not so good. Um, and so one of the things that I've seen over the years is that there's a lot of people who talk about having pathways or pipelines. Sure. And years ago, I was at a meeting and they were talking about pipelines. And I raised my hand, and as is typically the case with me, I kind of just say what's on my mind. <laughs> and I said, we're talking about pipelines, and we're completely full of it. We don't actually have pipelines. We have segments of pipe that are mm. disconnected. Yeah, we control that segment of pipe, but it's disconnected between, you know, uh, high school to yes. college to career to or technical school to, to career. And what it really takes is it takes a major, major industry leader to connect the segments of pipe. Yep. And so we're at Tri-City and 
we're working on things. And one of the top issues that comes up is economic empowerment mm -hmm. and social mobility and things like that. And there's a lot of discussions about equity and outcomes and all these things. We're also attending every event, every event and every meeting <laughs> that's around in the community. And we know that the chambers are working on this stuff. Right. And they have similar ideas and sometimes there's collaboration and whatnot. And we said, listen, we should put together something that works for everybody, that everybody can invest in. Yeah. Rather than, you know, you have a silo, they have a silo, they have a silo. And those are good silos. Right. You know, and those need to exist, continue to exist. But working together, there's economies of scale that can be realized and there's momentum that could be realized. And so we'd had a program before COVID that brought students into the hospital for tours and we went into their classrooms and lectured and just stuff like that. And so we said, well, how would we do that, but do it digitally and remotely? And so we came up with this sort of concept that was built upon the foundations laid by the chambers and other in the school districts and whatnot, and said, let's create a website that has profiles and videos of different jobs and tells you all about that job and where you can go to school locally to do that. And then make it available to everyone, whether you're in school or you're right, not in school. Right. I mean, you might be 40 years old and looking to change career. Yes. It's a website for you as well. Yeah. And so, and you know, of course we love our acronyms, right? So <laughs> we had to come up with something and we wanted it to take all over all of Southern California. Start small, grow big. Yep. And so we're like, well, SoCal. And so we started working with it and student opportunities for career awareness and learning is what came up. And you could brand that as well and stuff like that. And obviously we, you know, we collaborate with the Economic Development Council where I was coming in as the chairman. Yep. And you guys and the Vista Chamber, the Oceanside Chamber, everyone's all in. School districts are in. The college is starting to come in. And it just spread like wildfire yeah. across North County. And now... It looks like it's probably going to be spreading to East County and South Bay. Oh, nice. And I had some discussions the other day about that. And, you know, we want it to go everywhere. Yeah. Because the goal, I know it's your goal, it's all of our goals, is to elevate people. Yes. Create opportunity. We want the best and the brightest here in our community to find education here in the community and jobs here in the community. Yep. We want them to stay here. We want them to be wildly successful. And I think that it's the great equalizer. Education and opportunity and careers is a great equalizer. Yeah. yeah. We had a very similar experience when I was uh, at the Vista Chamber before coming here where we were bringing students out to businesses, locations on site, like you just mentioned, you were doing at Tri-City. And, you know, they would get these tours, but we tried to make the tours a little different than just like a field trip. Like they would actually get to hear from people at different departments at a company. And uh, like one of the best ones was like our friends at Solitube. They would, right. they hosted many of these and, you know, you would meet somebody on the shop floor and then somebody in marketing and somebody in um, shipping, you'd meet somebody in uh, R&D and we, we kind of helped them prepare to share who they are, what they did, what they liked about it, what was challenging about it, how they got to that point in their life, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, it was a great experience. I think in about 18 months, we brought almost a thousand eighth graders, wow. you know, through these places. But but as you know, from hosting this stuff at Tri-City, for me at the chamber, it was getting hard because I was constantly asking some of the same four right. or five companies to host another group of 30 or 40 eighth graders. Right. And so I was wearing them out and, and the schools had the challenge too. Field trips are not easy for the schools logistically right. anymore. Right. Back, I felt like when I was going to school, 
that was like no big deal. But of course, that was my child perspective. Right. But these days, it, it's it's quite a lift for them. So when this concept came up, and I can remember us all sitting at uh, lunch together at a restaurant, I can see it, and and I was like, yeah, this is this idea that um, you primarily were pushing was a natural. Yeah, and I think it makes sense for business. I mean, obviously, I, I mentioned before that industry leaders need to take a leadership role in workforce development. And for a lot of industry leaders, they're looking at the return on investment of these things. They're like, man, I'm not going to see a return on investment for 10 years, you know, if I talk to some kid, you know, right now. So, you know, we're looking at ROI, you know, business leaders are looking at ROI and say, what's the return on investment right now? And so they're probably not going to see those, that return. And they're taking their time out of their staff's day and things like that. And they want to do it from a community relations standpoint right. and from things like that. But we thought about that a lot in the design of this and said, okay, all you need is you need to get them for a day and a couple hours to make a video. Right. And that video not only is the tour, right? And it's more immersive because you don't have to transition from one building to the next or whatever. You can do it visually. You could do it audibly, right? And you could pack it into three minutes. And so young people can look at multiples. And so it basically becomes for a business high return on investment because their cost is minimal for it. They exactly. essentially have a commercial yeah, that's exactly. running in front of, you know, youth or adults or whatever it may be perpetually, you know, if it's on this website and they can be very, they can keep things up to date by saying, Hey, let's just make an, we have a, a need in this particular area. Let's make another video. Let's pop it on there. Exactly. And so I think that, one of the things that was oftentimes missing from these kind of workforce development programs is the perspective of the business mm -hmm. and saying, hey, what would make it easier for you guys? What would make it cost, you know, what, what is the return on investment for these things? Uh, you know, particularly for people that are being very cost conscious now. And so you mix that into having the support of elected officials like Supervisor Jim Desmond and, and since exactly. then Supervisor Tara Lawson-Reamer, yes. right? Um, in con contributing uh, grant dollars towards the development of the website, towards the development of videos. So there isn't a barrier for small businesses, minority-owned businesses, whatever it may be, to participate in this program. Because small businesses are the the, the crux, of, they, they employ the most people. Yep. And so you don't want them to be missing because they don't have the budget to pay for this video, even though the budget is relatively small. And so I think that SoCal is sort of firing on all cylinders and it hits, you know, the the user's needs, right? Because it introduces them to a lot of different careers and emerging industries very quickly, helps the education institutions, it helps the business, and it helps the chambers and the yep. and then the EDC. And the the schools in particular, uh, as you just mentioned, um, are this was all done in in collaboration with the uh, initially with Carlsbad Vista and Oceanside Unified School Districts. And um, they absolutely love this program because it's such a hyper-local focus. They can pull a video off YouTube of a day in the life of an engineer, but it's impersonal. It's just, you know, who knows where this engineer's based. It could be international, it could be East Coast, whatever. But if they're at SoCal, this is at a place down the street that, right. that you know, they might know somebody who works there. Or, or they, they drive by they it every drive day. drive by it, exactly. Yeah. So it's very much tangible and uh, connected to their current life. So the schools have absolutely loved this program. Yeah, and I think that SoCal is highly replicable. Yes. You know, it's it's the cost, the barrier, there's very few barriers to entry. It's like, do you, you want to do it? 
You know, we could help you go find money to, yeah. to, to stand it up. Uh, and then the businesses, you know, they, they see the budget and they go, oh, this is not that bad at all. And it's all, it's an incentive for them to participate in the chamber. It's, you know, it, yeah. it hits a lot of different uh, pressure points, right? I mean, my thought is always when I work on a project or I help contribute to the development of project is what would be a national best practice? Mm. What is something that other people would look at and be like, wow, we should do that. Oh, and by the way, we have an idea to make it better. And then they make theirs better. And we look at it and go, wow, we didn't even think about that. Let's right. make ours better Let's now too. Let's incorporate that into right. ours. Yeah, exactly. That's great. So for those of you who are hearing about SoCal for the first time, we want to encourage you to go out and check out the website, SoCalWorkforce.org. And uh, everything's public. You don't need any like special access or you don't have to sign into anything. It's just available and go check it out. There's You can navigate. I think there's over, I think we're about up to 100 different career videos on there now. You can navigate them by company, by industry, or by job title. Job title. Thank you. I'm yeah. like blanking here. Yeah, exactly. So encourage people to do that. All right. We're going to take a quick pause here for our sponsor message. We're talking to Aaron Bizak, the Chief External Affairs Officer at Tri-City Medical Center. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the advancements that are going on at Tri-City itself. So stick with us. We'll be right back. So Aaron, before the break, we were talking about your guys' coastal commitment and the 90 different partners and just your amazing uh, connections to the community. And I know you personally, you walk the walk because I think last time we chatted, you were serving on something like 17 different boards of directors in the community. Boards and committees. So Boards and committees. You know, depending on what board you're on, it comes with several committees. So Yeah, there you go. That's a lot. Um, so I, I know uh, this is not just lip service for you. But there's a lot of great advancements going on at Tri-City itself. So I'd love for us to talk about, I think we should update the public on behavioral health and then uh, your emergency room stuff and and others. So okay. let's let's chat about behavioral health because it was a big, big thing in the media a couple of years ago. And, you know, for some reason, uh, everybody was blaming Tri-City for stuff, which was uh, literally not no, fair and right. uh, you know but let's let's so let's go through that a little yeah so i think at the time there was a lot of pressure that was being built up in behavioral health because we as a society have failed on behavioral health for a very long time yes at multiple levels what ended up happening was we ended up having to suspend operations of our unit because of a facility issue uh related to regulations and i won't go totally into it but at the time there was a lot of finger pointing yes at us and you know, I, I came out pretty hard saying, uh, no, that's not the case. And here's all the pressure points along the entire uh, continuum of care that we're all facing. And Tri-City in, in the inpatient hospital space is part of that piece of the puzzle, and we're a corner of the piece. Yes. So it's very sm small, relatively speaking. But we were also pursuing a vision at Tri-City that was different than what other people had, had thought about before. And our principles were it had to be long-term, it couldn't be short-term, had to be sustainable. Sustainable, that's right. a big deal. <laughs> Sustainability is pretty key. <laughs> right. And it had to be a community solution, yeah. right? That we had to work together in collaboration. And through a lot of effort behind the scenes and out in public, we were able to create a partnership with the County of San Diego to build a 16-bed psychiatric health facility, inpatient psychiatric health facility on our campus. And that's exactly what we're doing. We broke ground uh, in fall of last year. 
And we've been building it, uh, although there's been a lot of rain recently. Yes, there has So been. that has delayed construction a little bit. <laughs> but we're still on schedule to open the new facility in early 2024. And so that's going to be an amazing community uh, re- resource here in North County. And it won't be a place that you bring somebody who's acutely um, sick with a behavioral health problem. They will go to a crisis stabilization unit or an ER, be stabilized, and then come over to us at the hospital. We anticipate people staying five to seven days in that facility, but it's going to be a beautiful new facility. It is a partnership with the county. We're each paying half the cost of building it. Nice. We will end up operating that facility. The great thing is that we're doing it for cost-based reimbursement. So there's not a built-in deficit to the loss. budget. Not a loss. You're not not going, a loss. So you're sustainability not go in, and long red yeah. right away. Yeah. Which was part of the issue, uh, you know, of the, the previous unit. And I don't know, the P- I don't understand why people just assume that um, businesses, because you're a business at the end of the day, you got to be able to pay your bills or you cease to exist. Correct. That you can just operate things in the red. The reimbursements that were coming were awful. Correct. Terrible. Yeah. So very excited about this, uh, you know, this progress. Right. And and this is, this is, this is progress in the true sense, because like you said, this is something that can be sustained and be an asset beyond just the immediate needs. Right. And, you know, there's there's certain services in healthcare that don't generally make money. And there's other services that do. And so you have to make money in the services that do in order to offset the ones that you don't make money in. Yeah. And so with this service, which was historically one that didn't make money, you lost money on it. If it breaks even, that gives us a lot of opportunity in other areas. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't look at that aspect of it. Right. Uh, but as a hospital leader, that's that's what's important to you. You know, and, and I think that there's a lot of my wife put this really well recently. Uh, we were talking about just sort of the challenges in healthcare and healthcare leadership. And COVID has put tremendous yes. uh, challenges on us, financial challenges and otherwise all across the country. My wife said it's kind of like surfing. She says, when you go down to the beach and you see the big waves and you see somebody surfing really well on the waves, you're like, oh my gosh, that looks incredible. I want to go surfing. Right. It looks so easy. And then you start to paddle out. And get pounded. And you get absolutely destroyed. Yeah. And you can barely breathe. And you go, oh my gosh, this, this is, is way harder than yeah. it looks. I think the same can be said about healthcare leadership. Mm. Is that from the outside, everyone has ideas. It's easy to have ideas. But when you get on the inside and you look at the regulations and the legislation, the market pressures and the financial challenges and labor and all these, you know, labor issues and all these things, it just becomes very, very difficult. Yeah. And so finding the solution like the psychiatric health facility or any number of the other projects we're working on, other healthcare systems are working on is really, you know, it's almost miraculous yeah. that these things happen. And you brought up in, in that discussion, you brought up something that I think is good to highlight once again, because there were a lot of misnomers going out there during COVID time that hospitals were, you know, oh, if they just coded something as being COVID, then they got all this money was coming into them and all this stuff, like somehow COVID was a money maker for hospitals. And I think it would help, uh, you know, I feel like we're kind of now in the endemic stage instead of pandemic. Right. So share the reality of what that was like for the hospital. Well, it was financially devastating yeah. for the hospital. You know, it was financially devastating for several reasons. First was that they shut down surgeries oh, yes. for, for an extended period of time. And the, they, you they mean call, the electives? Yeah, stuff. the electives. They call them electives, but 
Right. There, there's a lot of things that fall into that elective category. Yeah. I mean, I had a heart procedure a couple, you know, three years ago for I have a congenital uh, electrical problem with my heart. And that would have been elective. Mm. And it didn't feel elective at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and so. Felt pretty essential. You shut that down. But you still have all the cost of labor. Right. So you have no money coming in or limited money coming in and a bunch of labor costs. And then when you start to come out of it, you have a lot of people who are seeking care for COVID. At the height, we had 100 people in the hospital on one day with COVID who are COVID positive. Now, you get marginally more reimbursement than you would for, say, flu, Mm -hmm. right, for COVID. But the people with COVID stay an extended period of time. Yeah. And so everything after probably day three and a half, you're losing money. And if they're staying 10 days or 12 days or 15 days or some of them months— that's all money going out and not much money coming in. Mm. And so that makes things very difficult. I mean, we lost tens of millions of dollars and we got a little bit of support from the federal government. Thank you, Mike Levin. Thank you to our Congress for that. But it did not equate to the money that we lost. Right. And we got really almost nothing. You know, we got no direct support from the state. Got a little support on labor things, but we got no direct fin- financial support from the state of California. And so... When you look at that, you have to make up the money somewhere. Right. And so, and, you know, we're also in a period where we have to grow. We have to come up with a vision for seismic retrofitting and all these things that are going on at the hospital. So it creates, a, it's a delicate balance. Challenging, challenging times. Yeah. You, uh, COVID did not result in you guys uh, rolling in the revenue. No, it was the exact opposite of that. And actually going into COVID, we were, relative to most hospitals, doing pretty well financially. And it just becomes very challenging Yeah, when you have the cost of labor is increasing, skyrocketing, cost of supplies, cost of medicine, everything's going up and the revenue stays low or goes down. And, you know, I think it's important to note that under the state's Medicaid program, we call it Medi-Cal, reimbursements haven't increased in like 12 years. Oof. And 12 years ago, they were probably 20 years behind. And so if you have cost escalation going one direction, you know, straight up, and you have reimbursement staying relatively flat or actually declining in real terms, then there's a growing delta between those two lines on the graph. And that delta is very red, yeah. right? And I, I was given a speech recently, a group of special districts, and I said, you know, we are stuck in the delta. If we were a delta smelt, a fish up in Sacramento, they'd be throwing money at us. But we're stuck in the delta between the cost of providing care and the reimbursement yeah. for providing care. And that's very challenging. Yeah. And so it takes creative people, a little bit of luck <laughs> and a lot of work uh, to make those things work. So I know there's um, some good things on the immediate horizon at Tri-City. Um, let's talk about the emergency room remodel. Yeah, we're getting ready to remodel the emergency room. And when we say that, it's half the emergency room. Because you got to have a half to do something. You got to yeah. work in you there. You can't shut the whole thing right. down just to remodel it. Right. And so we are remodeling the emergency waiting room, the triage area, team triage, they call it, and then station A, which is one of the major treatment areas in the hospital. And we've gotten money from the Tri-City Hospital Foundation has been incredible. Jennifer Proley and her team have done an amazing job. We also work with the David C. Copley Foundation and the Conrad Prebis Foundation. Nice. And I think this is the first time that those two very well-known philanthropic organizations have invested in Tri-City. And we look at that and we're really proud of that because we think that that, it says a lot about what we're doing and where we're going in North County. So it's about a $5 million project and we should be starting in the next probably six to eight weeks. We had a little bit of a delay with ordering the trailer that we're going to use for the the waiting room. 
So uh, the trailer that we're using for the waiting room at the hospital is taking a little bit longer than we anticipated, but the total time should be a little less than a year for the remodel of that. And then we can look at the second half of those things. The other half of the... And, but, you know, that is the point of entry for 80 to 85% of the patients come into the hospital. So that's the first thing that they see yep. when they come in. And so, you know, and it's it's well-worn, that ER. I mean, I was looking at the plaque on the outside of the building. It was dedicated in 1992. So, oh, wow. So if someone was dedicated in 1992, but it's been operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that entire time, for 20 it needs plus a little bit years. of love. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Needs a little bit of love. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to give it some love. We're going to make it beautiful. Actually, the flooring throughout is going to look like sand and water in different locations and stuff. So really leaning in on the coastal feel here locally at Tri-City. Actually, let me update my math on that for over 30 years. Sorry. (laughs) 92 to today is over 30 years, not 20 years. Right. No, that's great. I think you're right. That is the um, first impression a lot of people get of your facility because they're coming in for and of course when they're coming in they usually are in a moment of stress or distress or something so um you know having a more modern feel and welcoming and everything will be nice i think hospitals are unique in that our customers are oftentimes by definition sick or injured right when they walk through the door right so that will color the way you look at a facility. And so, you know, we want to make sure that it is a comfortable environment. The lighting is right. You know, it's a place where people feel safe and comfortable, uh, you know, getting their care. And we want to make sure that it eases the process of people getting through there, reduces wait times and stuff like that. And I think that bringing in sort of the feel, the local look and feel of the coastal community adds a calming measure to it. Um, and so that's what we're doing. It's going to be really, we're really excited about it. We're really looking forward to, to the groundbreaking, even though you don't actually break any ground uh, to do it. So we'll be, be putting on an event for that. Sure. But what we did in anticipation of that is, you know, there's an outdoor patio area. We actually already redid the patio and made it look um, very much like a resort. Oh, nice. It has beautiful, colorful awnings and nice seating, comfortable seating and stuff like that. So when people arrive, whether they're waiting outside, in, you know, in the elements, they, right. they'll they have shade structures and things like that. And then this new trailer that we're bringing in that will serve as the triage area in the waiting room will be very, very comfortable for people as well. Nice. I have to admit, my goal is to not visit the emergency room. Correct. <laughs> right. So it's not the place I want to spend a lot of time, but uh, I'm very excited for this advancement. You guys are going through a transition. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Steve Dietline just recently retired. So I know there's a search committee going to to hire the next CEO, and uh, that, I don't know, has its course. Of course, uh, when you and I chatted with the gentleman, he, he had some pretty aggressive uh, timelines, so yes. who knows? Maybe it'll be uh, sooner than later that a new uh, permanent uh, CEO is announced, but um, so that's going on. Is there anything else in the pipeline that's going on that we should be aware of that you want to share? Yeah, we're uh, we're actually going to be opening hopefully early summer a new MRI suite. Nice that has a what they call the three T three Tesla MRI. The three Tesla MRI will revolutionize diagnostic imaging in North County. So that's really cool. That's happening. I mean, I actually they're bringing in the crane. I think to to bring in the magnet next wow. week. Uh, So that's a very uh, exciting development at the hospital. And, you know, there's a lot of other things that are going on with the coastal commitment. We're growing that. Yep. You know, we're, we're, you know, I think we are um, rolling out a new employee engagement program uh, that I think will really sort of tap into more of the strengths within the organization, which I think is really exciting. 
Uh, and you know, we're always looking at improved customer experience, improved patient experience, better quality outcomes, things like that. We do great right now, but you could always improve. And so those are some of the exciting things we're doing. It's awesome. And I'm always, I always admire how um, not only you're trying to in, do better with your patient experience, but your technology, as you just mentioned, is nonstop. You guys are upgrading and, you know, we didn't talk about robotics right. surgery stuff today, but you guys are a leader in that. And uh, you guys have won awards for stroke and heart care, cardi cardiac care, right. sorry. Um, I mean, you guys really are top notch. Yeah, and I think one of the things is people look at the outside of the facility, they see a somewhat older facility and they think, sure. oh, there must not be innovative equipment inside. And there's a ton of innovative equipment inside that we use every single day. I mean, we have artificial intelligence that can predict where clots are going and we can go into your brain and pull out clots. We have all these amazing things. It actually is that much harder when you're in an older facility, an older facility, because you have to update the facility to meet the new technology. You know, there's a lot of really cool things that are going on at Tri-City. And when people walk through our door, they're getting the best care. Actually, I was speaking to somebody the other day who had a hemorrhagic stroke Ooh. and came into our facility. And now she's up and walking around like nothing ever happened. Awesome. And I was like, yes. I mean, those are the kind of things that make me so happy. Yeah. You know, and our, our survival rate for CPR and cardiac arrest and stuff like that is higher than it is in most hospitals. I think we're twice the national average for wow. survival rate. That's and that's amazing. just incredible. And I think that, you know, there's, you know, Tri-City has sort of a challenged reputation over the years. You know, sure. some of it's political, some of it's facilities, you know, whatever it may be. The truth of the matter is that people are getting amazing care when they walk through the door. Yes. And it's been, um, we should throw out there, it's been, you guys opened your doors in 1961. So it's been a little over 60 years now. And uh, of course, I can't let this podcast end without mentioning the, the chambers, the three chambers role and, you know, pushing forward this initiative to create the Tri-City Health Hospital District, right. which was Carlsbad, Oceanside, and Vista. One of the quality initiatives you got to have in a region is state-of-the-art, top-quality healthcare, And you guys have been providing it for 60 years, and you continue to provide it. I'm grateful that you guys are here. I'm grateful for your community engagement. You serve on my board, which I'm grateful for that as well. Um, so just really appreciate everything that you guys do. Now, we appreciate you guys' support, and we appreciate everything the Chamber has done and the cities have done to support Tri-City over the years. I think that 60 years ago, the chambers and the cities had a vision for what this place could yes. become, right? And healthcare was a key uh, component of that. I think that right now we are at a transitional period where we need to look at the next 60 years. Yeah. I think it's key for the cities and for the chambers and a number of other stakeholders to come together around a common vision for that. And I know that Tri-City is interested in that, and that's where we want to go. Love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to come down and share and update us and update our listening audience. Thank you very much, Brad. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for joining us on our Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the follow button on wherever you get your audio. And please tell a friend. We would love to hear your feedback, which you can share at carlsbadpodcast.com. You can leave us a review, ask a question, or leave an audio comment, which we can play on the show in the future. And that's all we have for today. Can't wait to see you next time on Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact. And remember, share some kindness today. It's free, creates goodwill, and makes you feel great.